To know where the internet is going, you have to know where it's been. Every episode will examine the sites, terms, and personalities that have defined the online world. So strap on your chrono belts, time cadets. It's time to take a trip to the Old Wide Web. Episode 3, Back from the Future. Hi, I'm Bill Meeks, and welcome to another episode of Old Wide Web. I'm here to teach you the history of the internet. Whether you're a newbie or an old tech head, I'm going to give you an overview of how the internet evolved into what it is today. First off, I want to apologize for not having an episode last week. Our family vacation put me a little behind schedule and it was going to be late, so I decided to release on the normal deadline. Yes, this means we had a little bit of a skip week, but I'm on track to come out with an episode every week from here on out. Today's episode will explore the strange case of one Mr. John Titter. He could be a huge troll, but he could also be humanity's best hope. When the subject of time travel comes up in serious conversations over a beer at the local bar, there's one point that is often brought up. If we eventually invent time travel, then why hasn't a man from the future shown up in modern times? Surely some future chrononaut would want to peek in and see what life was like in the early 21st century were the best, right? But what if one did show up, and nobody believed him? On November 2nd, in the year 2000, a man using the handle TimeTravel underscore zero made the following post on the Time Travel Institute forums. I saw the posting requesting the basic systems for a gravity distortion system that will allow time travel. Here they are. Number one, magnetic housing units for dual micro-singularities. Number two electron injection manifold to alter mass and gravity of micro-singularities. Number three, cooling and x-ray venting system. Number four, gravity sensors, BGL system. Number five, main clocks, four cesium units. Six, main computer units, three. Some people probably thought this was just a throwaway post from some crackpot or an optimistic physics junkie, but user time travel underscore zero would soon become famous, if not infamous, as a displaced American soldier from the year 2036 named John Titter. The following day, Titter responded to a time travel survey that was posted to the forum and tried to flesh out his backstory a little bit more. I am a part of an army unit based in Florida in 2036. I have made four temporal flights. The first was an orientation to get used to the physical demands of gravity distortion. The second was a training and emergency preparedness mission. The third was a solo training mission. The fourth was my first mission that brought me to this world line. He claimed that he had traveled from the future using the gravity distortion system mentioned in his first post, and that it had been installed in the rear of a 1967 Chevy Corvette. Not exactly a DeLorean in terms of style, but obviously it did the job. He didn't use the name John Titter until he began posting on the Art Bell BBS forums in January of 2001. They required posters use a full name instead of a handle. He didn't play coy when it came to introducing himself. Greetings. I am a time traveler from the year 2036. I'm on my way home after getting an IBM 5100 computer system from the year 1975. 
my time machine, is a stationary mass temporal displacement unit manufactured by General Electric. I'll be happy to post pictures of the unit. True to his word, he did post pictures, and not just photographs of the unit installed in the Corvette. He also included a detailed manual for the device, a copy of his military insignia, and photographs of the IBM 5100 he'd been sent to retrieve. The 5100 had a little-known ability to emulate and debug mainframe Unix computers, and the future military needed one to debug the legacy computer system due to the Unix 2038 problem, which is similar to the Y2K bug that was in the news around the time of Titter's postings. But the most haunting portions of Titter's postings were eerily likely predictions for the future. First and foremost among them was the assertion that America would see a civil war in 2011, which would push us straight into World War III. A world war in 2015 killed nearly 3 billion people. Russia launches a nuclear strike against the major cities in the United States, which is the other side of the civil war from my perspective, China and Europe. The United States counterattacks. The U.S. cities are destroyed, along with the AFE, American Federal Empire. Thus, we, in the country, won. The European Union and China were also destroyed. The people that survived grew closer together. Life is centered on the family and then the community. There is no large industrial complex creating masses of useless food and recreational items. Food and livestock is grown and sold locally. People spend much more time reading and talking together face to face. He claimed the Civil War grew out of civil unrest from the presidential election of 2004, which once we got to 2004 seemed very likely. But by 2008, when he predicted society would reach its boiling point, there was no fighting to be seen. And yes, before you bring it up, uh, his traveling back to our time could have very well changed that future, but a lot of his other predictions were pretty accurate. For one, Titter claimed that civil rights in America would slowly vanish in the name of security. In a pre-9-11 world, this seemed a bit silly, but legislation like the Patriot Act has done exactly that. On a related note, he said America would start a war with Iraq under the presumption that they had nuclear weapons, but that no weapons would be found. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? He also said that scientists at CERN would make the first steps toward time travel in the early 2000s. And the fall after he stopped posting, they announced that creating miniature black holes was possible, and more recently have been using the Large Hadron Collider to find out even more about the nature of time and space. In one of his more colorful posts, he gave a description of time travel that would put H.G. Wells to shame. An audible alarm and a small light start a short countdown, at which point you should be secured in a seat. No bright flash of light is seen. Outside the vehicle appears to accelerate as the light is bent around it. Personally, I think it looks like you're driving under a rainbow. After that, it appears to fade to black and remains totally black until the unit is turned off. There is a great deal of electrical crackling noise from static electricity. While he was stuck in our timeline, he observed and was shocked by how little we helped one another. He also claimed while he was here that he contacted his parents and convinced them he was their son. A little over five months after his first post, on March 24, 2001, he posted his last message and was never heard from again. I will be leaving this world line shortly, and this will be my final post. 
There are only a handful of people who will know exactly when I will be leaving, and I'm sure they will let you know when I'm gone. No, I do not have a secret agenda, but I have been paying a great deal of attention to your world line. My interaction with you was not a direct mission parameter, but it was a secondary mission protocol based on standing orders given to all temporal drivers. That secondary objective is basically to gather as much information about a world line based on a set of observable variables when we first arrive. Your world line met those conditions. Farewell, John. And just like that, he was gone. It didn't take long for the internet to start poking holes in his story. There was the similarity between his recounting of events and places with the sci-fi novel Alas Babylon, which took place in the aftermath of a nuclear war. The main character lived in Fort Repose in Florida, pretty close to Titter's given residence of Fort, built upon the ruins of the University of Florida. There was also a pre-message board appearance in an IRC chat room where he claimed that World War III was unstoppable. But once he started posting to message boards, he claimed part of his mission involved stopping the war before it started. In March of 2010, Italian intellectual property consultant Nicola Battista suggested the entire story might be an elaborate viral stunt to promote a forthcoming Disney film. The lawyer who represents the Titter family and the John Titter Foundation, which owns the copyright to the book A Time Traveler's Tale, which is about Titter, is based in the Disney-created town of Celebration, Florida. Now, that could easily be written off as a coincidence, but the lawyer, one Larry Haber, worked for Disney as an attorney and director of business affairs from 1992 to 1999. The technical details of Titter's story are outside the skill set of an attorney, but the Italian TV show Voyager suggested that Titter's post might have been written by Haber's computer expert brother, John. Whether you buy his time-traveling tale or not, John Titter's story continues to resonate through the internet and popular culture. In addition to the book I mentioned and the countless articles written about him, he was also the subject of a play called Time Traveler 00 that was put on by Cyberbia Productions in 2004. Look, we all know this story is most likely a fake, but the real question is, why do so many people identify with the warnings Titter offered? I think it's because it doesn't take a huge leap of logic to see history progressing in a way similar to what he described. Besides, on the off chance that he was from the year 2038, don't we owe it to the future to at least consider the warnings he gave us? How sad would it be if a time traveler actually appeared and nobody listened? Part of John Titter was played by Tom Merritt, podcaster extraordinaire and co-host of the Sword and Laser podcast with Veronica Belmont, which you can find at swordandlaser.com. Many thanks, Tom. Neek's Mixed Media offers video, animation, web design and programming, motion graphics. If you have a project involving audio, video, or the web, Meeks Mixed Media can help you. 
Need individualized attention from a media pro with over five years of professional experience? Click on Hire Us at MeeksMixedMedia.com or send an email to contact at MeeksMixedMedia.com to get started. Meeks Mixed Media, welcome to now. Welcome back. The John Titter story would probably get buried on the internet of today. At best, he'd be a trending topic on Twitter in a segment on Tosh.0. At worst, he'd be drowned out by the rest of the zeitgeist. Now let's take a look from the beginning of the dot-com bubble to the age of social networking in the last part of our brief history of the internet. But first, let's listen to another one of your first online memories in a segment I like to call Memory Allocation. Downloading memory. Processing. Processing complete. Dispense memory. So my name is uh, Shabir Imbersaftar. I live in San Francisco, and I do web marketing analytics uh, at my company at uh, saftaranalytics.com, and I blog personally at saftar.net. So I remember when I was about 14 or 15, my my parents got me an IBM uh, PC, I think it was an AT for all you nerds, and a modem. It was a 1200-baud modem, I think, at the time, so it was, uh, it was super fast, and uh, the computer was cool, and I had an interest in programming and eventually got a computer science degree. But far more interesting to me was the digital communications potential, the communications, the ability to sort of reach out and meet and, and influence and talk to and collaborate with lots and lots of people. And I spent the first month owning that computer and that modem, calling every bulletin board in the country I could find a number for and signing up and reading the discussions and participating. And I remember at the end of that month, my mom – coming into my bedroom with the phone bill and saying, I don't know what all these long-distance calls are, but I called a bunch of them, and they all make that beeping noise like your computer does when you're online. So you need to stop. That's a, that's a fortune in money you spent, and you can't do that anymore. Uh, and I did. I stuck to local bulletin boards. But uh, it, it, it was the beginning for me of realizing that this technology was going to at least change my life incredibly and it would never be the same and uh, I remember from that moment on it's it's been a, the ability to communicate on that level and at that volume and across the globe with no borders has been a big part of my life get ready it's time for a brief history of the internet 1997 to 2011 You'll remember we left off in the second part when Microsoft started bundling Internet Explorer with new copies of Windows 95. Let's finish our trip through Internet history starting in... 1997. Business.com sells for $150,000. The American Registry for Internet Numbers begins to handle the registration of IP addresses. The owner of Alternic, an alternative DNS provider, protested near-monopoly of DNS by Internic by implementing a hack that sent traffic bound for Internic.net to Alternic.net. Dozens of countries receive custom domain name suffixes like .ly, now popular with Web 2.0 apps like bit.ly, graphic.ly, and any other noun you can think of .ly. The number of websites crest the 1 million mark. 1998 there's a gold rush on domain names from Turkmenistan when company Internet Advisors realized that the domain name .tm could stand for trademark. 
The U.S. Postal Service allows customers to print postage directly from their website. Net Solutions registers domain name number 2 million, the big 2M. The DMCA, or Digital Millennium Copyright Act, is signed into law by Bill Clinton, expanding copyright in the digital age while protecting online services from the copyright violations of their users. Chinese citizen Lun Hai is put on trial for providing 30,000 email addresses to a U.S. internet magazine. He is eventually sentenced to two years in prison. Compaq pays $1 million for search engine AltaVista, which also releases its Babelfish translation tool this year. Revolutionary and sometimes necessary for the web at the time, it still lives today at yahoo.com. Communications Decency Act 2 is signed into U.S. law, and it includes a ban on net taxes. Websites across the Silicon Valley go down when there is a citywide blackout. The Silicon Valley was the epicenter of the web revolution, and many large sites were hosted there, leading to a very boring day on the web. Google is founded by Larry Page and Sergey Brin when they incorporate their two-year-old search engine research project. 1999. The U.S. state court rules that domain names are property and can be garnished. A faked Bloomberg webpage causes shares of a small startup to go up by 31%. ICANN rolls out its shared registry system, allowing third parties to register domain names. Register.com, AOL, and France Telecom were among the early partners, but by year's end, 98 companies were competing for your domain name dollars. The first large-scale cyber war accompanies the meat space war in Serbia and Kosovo. The Department of Defense requires that all military systems disconnect from the wider Internet. The Internet 2 network, codenamed Abilene, reaches across the Atlantic with the help of corporate partner IBM. Napster is released, bringing illicit music sharing to a wider, mostly college-age audience. A lot of companies start offering free bare-bones computers in exchange for purchasing ISP service. Usually the computers are very cheap and the service isn't very good. But they do catch on because, you know, they have free computers. The future of the internet and computing itself is threatened by the Y2K bug. There was a lot of panicky news reports and fear-mongering, but when the year turned to... 2,000,000,000... Nothing really happened. A few time services like the U.S. Timekeeper report errors, but Y2K was a bust for everybody but survivalists. Top-tier sites like Yahoo, Amazon, and eBay got bogged down by a big denial-of-service attack in early February. The number of web pages surpasses 1 billion. IPv6 is deployed on the Internet 2 backbone, although we're still finishing up the process of moving over to it. The French government rules that Yahoo must censor its listings for hate memorabilia on their auction site. The dot-com bubble burst when the Nasdaq Composite Index peaks at 5,049 points. It continues to have effects well into 2001. Napster is sued by the RIAA and reaches a $26 million settlement with the recording industry in an attempt to go legit. The first streamed musical debuts over Internet 2. It's called The Technophobe and The Madman. 
The Digital Agenda Act in Australia makes forwarding emails copyright infringement. Live streaming internet radio stations go quiet as they try and negotiate reasonable fees with rights holders. The first treaty covering cybercrime is accepted by the European Council. The first gigabit HDTV signal is broadcast over internet too. .biz and .info domain names go live. 2002. Blogging becomes one of the premier platforms for internet hipsters. I, I, I mean content creators. Another one of those denial-of-service attacks knocks out seven of the 13 DNS root servers. In response, VeriSign relocates one of its main DNS servers. The U.S. passes a law to create a kids-safe domain, kids.us. It really doesn't catch on too well, even though large companies like Disney participate. Google News launches, leading to many stories about Google News launching being aggregated on Google News. And, at long last, U.S. Indian tribes can now register for .gov domain names. 2003! The Swiss hold the first online election. Some schmuck still wins. The SQL slammer worm spreads over the entire worldwide internet in about 10 minutes, taking down five DNS root servers along with thousands of other servers including ATM and air traffic control systems. Later in the year, the SoBig.f virus and the blaster worm would cause even more havoc. The first flash mob, basically a 1970s type happening organized online, is organized in New York City by Bill Wasick of Harper's Magazine. It takes place at a Macy's department store. Many large online retailers in the U.S. begin collecting taxes on purchases. And in a campaign that would stretch on over several years, the RIAA sues 261 users for distributing music over P2P networks. 2004. The Internet 2 backbone is upgraded to 10 gigabits. Network Solutions offers a 100-year domain name registration option. Google launches Gmail in a closed beta, making invites to the service one of the most coveted online commodities this year. Podcasting arrives on the scene and quickly gains popularity. Google officially becomes a publicly traded company. Tim Berners-Lee is awarded the Millennium Technology Prize for his work in creating the web. And that brings us into modern day. Now, a lot of stuff happened from 2005 to 2011. Social networking rocks the web with Friendster and MySpace and eventually leads to sites like Facebook and Twitter. YouTube burst onto the scene allowing anybody to become a video publisher. Microsoft partners with Yahoo and releases its own search engine, Bing. And the iPhone and Android platforms hasten the rise of mobile and cloud computing. And that's it. We've covered the highlights of the Internet's growth across several decades. This was basically meant as your primer course in Internet history, so uh, when I mention some names down the line, uh, you might recognize them. Thanks for joining me for A Brief History of the Internet. Lexicon. Meme, a catchphrase or concept that spreads quickly from user to user via the internet 
and eventually in the real world. Popular memes in the last five years include LOL Cats, Rick Rowling, Double Rainbow, and Rage Comics. Memes often have juvenile humor and make little sense, but then that could be said for most things on the internet. Welcome back. Today I want to take a moment to mention the passing of an internet pioneer. A couple weeks back on March 28th, Paul Barron passed away in Palo Alto, California, a victim of lung cancer. Now, if you don't know who this guy is, he invented the concept behind packet switching, which forms the basis of the internet protocol. Basically, he came up with the idea of slicing data up into little chunks before it was sent, reassembling the whole once the data reaches its destination. He developed it as part of a project to keep the internet open and free. Sending chunks around through several different servers meant that there was no central server to attack, ensuring the stability of the internet. Barron's innovation made the internet possible. He will be missed. This week's progs are pretty cool, and it'll give you an idea of what it was like online back in the day. Uh, the first prog is a site you might be familiar with. It's uh, Google Groups. That's at groups.google.com. Google Groups host a lot of uh, discussion forums for open source projects, things like that, but they also have a Usenet archive that goes back 20 years. I, I went ahead and searched to see if it could find my favorite Usenet group from back in the day, alt.tv.animaniacs, and there it was. I even looked through and found a couple of my old posts. So if you want to see what Usenet was like or research any old topics that were covered on Usenet, Google Groups is definitely the way to go. Now for our second prog, I, this is a, it's one of those top 10 list, or in this case a top 11 list, uh, from a site called 11points.com, but I thought you might like to see it. Uh, you can get there by going to bit.ly slash oldgifs, O-L-D-G-I-F-S. This is basically, it's uh, the 11 best old school animated GIFs, and they have a lot that I remember seeing here. They have a little dancing spot character from 7up. Uh, they have an animated uh, under construction sign. Uh, they have a mailbox that opens and closes, a world that turns, the dancing baby, an eternally spinning counter, which you saw a lot during the back in the day. Uh, people would have counters up on their websites to be like, hey, look how many visitors I got. And some uh, smart Alex would put up this spinning counter that seemed like millions of people were accessing the site. and just spinning the counter ad nauseum. I, there's also uh, some fun ones like uh, MC Hammer and the Netscape Dragon, but take a look at these. These were all over the web back in the day. You want to use the internet to plan a vacation? Why let America Online try to sell you everything else? No thanks. There is a choice. Prodigy Internet. If what you really want is unlimited internet and email, Prodigy will get you there in just one click. Go directly to the mountain and skip AOL's pop-up ads. Sign up for Prodigy Internet now and get 50% off for three months. That's only $9.95 a month. Get on, get what you need, and go do something with it. There is a choice. Call 1-800-PRODIGY. Welcome back. Here's our old website of the week. 
Uh, now, this one's kind of fun. If you want to go to it, I set up a bit.ly link for you. It's bit.ly slash old space jam. Now, this is the original site that was uh, released in 1996 to promote the uh, Space Jam movie with the Looney Tunes of Michael Jordan. Uh, now, they have character bios, character pictures, and it's all in set in, in a very nice frame interface, uh, that which you know, went out of style probably 10, 12 years ago. It's a lot of fun uh, just to check it out and see. This was a professional Warner Brothers site. It's still on Warner Brothers server, warnerbrothers.com. You have animated GIFs, uh, tiled backgrounds with really distracting graphics, uh, yellow on red text. It's an eyesore, but it was about par for the course back in those days. And that's going to do it for episode numero tres. You can get all of our past episodes at oldwideweb.org or by searching for Old Wide Web in iTunes. Feel free to shoot us a one to two minute audio file with your earliest online memory at oldwideweb at gmail.com. Any story ideas, feedback, or complaints can also be sent to oldwideweb at gmail.com, although I might archive the complaints. You can also follow the podcast at Old Wide Web Pod on Twitter. Well, thanks again, and I swear that you'll see me back here next week on the Old Wide Web. No more skip weeks!